Morning Kingsgate, good morning to you. I hope you are well and enjoying this lovely sunny morning. Um, it's great to be with you. Uh, it feels so long since I've seen so many of you um, and it's a very strange time but I'm hoping that you are settling down to, uh, you've done some worship um, and now we are going to spend a bit of time getting into God's Word together. But before I do that, I just want to uh, give you a little heads up on something else um, that we want to draw your attention to. I don't know if you've noticed, but coming out via Facebook and the website and some emails, uh, we are trying to just deliver to you uh, some little devotionals, um, some psalms to help with your uh, daily worship. Um, if you haven't discovered these yet, uh, the devotionals we're basing around the book of Joshua currently, um, and they're coming out twice a week on a Monday and uh, a Wednesday. So Joshua chapter five will be coming out tomorrow, as long as I write it this afternoon. Um, and uh, if you're sitting there thinking, Joshua chapter five, what happened to one to four? Well, they're all out there. You can find them by going to the website, click on the big button that says latest updates, and you will find them all there. Please do engage with these. In this time, it would be uh, a terrible thing, wouldn't it, when we finally get out of this season to discover that our homes are beautifully decorated and our gardens are super tidy, but our relationship with Jesus hasn't grown at all. Actually, we've got a great opportunity to invest more in our time reading the Bible, praying, worshipping. So let's give ourselves to that. And we've given you some resources, so please do make the most of those. Great. This morning, I want to continue our series uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, I'm going to be looking uh, at Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35. But before we read the passage, I just want to give us a little catch up. Where are we at in the story? So Jesus has been traveling around uh, in the northern part of Israel, uh, in the area of Galilee, and he's been traveling from towns to villages, um, and he's been doing three things, essentially. He's been healing the sick, he's been casting out demons, and he's been teaching the people. Uh, now, this has caused quite a social upheaval, because he is so popular. Remember, this is a time when there is no NHS, there is no social care. If you are ill, you stay ill. Um, unless somebody can do something about it. The news of Jesus' ministry has spread across the nation and people are traveling from all over the country to come and see him. Thousands of people are crowding around him daily because they want to get to him, either because they need healing um, or they have some other issue that they want him to deal with or they want to just come and see the spectacle of what this man is, is doing. The problem is that this growing crowd of thousands and thousands of people isn't all good. You see, in some of the things that Jesus has been saying, they're quite disturbing. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be able to forgive sins. For the religious authorities of the day, this is a big problem. Because both of those things are actually punishable by death. In fact, we've already read that they are trying to work out how to kill Jesus. So we've got this real mixture going on where Jesus is uh, in the midst of an amazing season of healing and setting people free. 
Um, but at the same time, there is real opposition and threat to his ministry. So it's at this point that we pick up the passage. So shall we read uh, Mark chapter 3 from verse 20? Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my, mothers? Who, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I have to confess to you, in preparation for this sermon, I could have very easily produced three 40-minute sermons at least. But the good news is, I'm going to try and limit you to half an hour. Patrick's now laughing in the background. Um, I'm going to try and limit this to, to no more than half an hour, so stick with me. But what that means is that I had to make a decision on what to focus on, because there is so much in this passage that we could focus on. So what I've decided to do is actually I'm going to focus primarily on Jesus' interaction with his family, and then I'm going to touch on uh, his, his interaction with the, 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 the scribes uh, and, and the, the teachers of the law, and then I am going to deal with the unforgivable sin. Uh, it is something that too many Christians trip over, and so I will touch on that and see if we can uh, help you through on that one. So, we start here again with Jesus being surrounded by people. The crowds are pressing, pressing in to such an extent that he and the disciples cannot even feed themselves and prepare a meal. They haven't got time to prepare a meal. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it appears that that is the thing that causes Jesus' own family, his own flesh and blood, to say he's out of his mind. Well, what's going on there? Why is that the thing that tips them over the edge? Why were they so concerned about him? Well, I think it's worth considering the position Jesus' family was in. So up to this point, they hadn't actually experienced Jesus' ministry for themselves. They had heard about him, just like everybody else had. They had heard of the good things he was doing, but they had also heard of the things he was saying. And they fully understood 
the threat that that posed to him. They would have been in a situation of, of having been taught for the whole of their lives that actually you cannot claim to be God because only God is God. And yet here is their big brother saying, that's me. Actually, that would have been of great concern. I think it's also worth considering a little bit of background. Uh, we know from the Bible account a little bit about when Jesus was born. We know a little bit about when he was 12 years old and he went to the, uh, uh, the temple. And we know uh, a lot from his life, from, from the age of 30 to, to his death uh, during his ministry. But there are a lot of years that actually aren't mentioned. But it was these people, his mum, his brothers, sisters, who lived with him through that time. They had spent more time with Jesus than anyone else. So actually, what was going on in that time? Well, just think for a moment that Jesus is your brother. He's your big brother. He was the firstborn. We know he had at least four other brothers. Um, and we don't know how many sisters, but there was at least more than one because it's always referred to as sisters in the plural. So it was a big family. And consider for a moment growing up with Jesus. He was perfect. Now that doesn't mean he always came top of the class, doesn't mean he was the brightest and smartest, but it does mean that he never got anything wrong. It does mean that he was always gracious in the way he dealt with people. He was always loving and caring to those around him. That actually he would have been obedient and honored his mother and father just like he was instructed to in the Old Testament. Quite frankly, he would have made you look really bad. As a sibling of Jesus, you had no choice but just to look really bad. Every time you wanted to get him in trouble, what happened? You ended up in trouble because his response to you would have been perfect. And to make matters worse, he thinks he's God. How does that go down if one of your brothers or sisters decides to proclaim that they're God? And if that isn't bad enough, Mum and Dad appear to agree with him. If there was ever a case of there being a favourite child, I think this may have been it. In that context, in that environment, Jesus' brothers and sisters grew up. With this man, this growing child and, and big brother, who actually, on one level, was great. But on another level, so much to be concerned about. He said so many scary things. And quite frankly, he was mum and dad's favorite. What do you do with that? And now he can't even appear to look after himself. He's getting himself into some very deep water with the authorities, the people that actually hold his life in their hands. And he's, he can't even feed himself properly. And actually it's not a surprise that they go, okay, enough is enough. We need to go and get him. We need to go and get Jesus. You see, I don't think it's much of a stretch to understand his family's response. Because actually, these were very confusing times. It's easy for us to think, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to have Jesus as our brother? Actually, I don't think it was. I think it would have been really challenging, really difficult, because he would have highlighted every difficulty and problem and bad bit in you. Every time as a, as, uh, as a teenager, you wanted to go out and drink too much. Jesus wouldn't have been with you. He'd have been going, really? Oh, 
that would have been tough to deal with. So I don't think it's that difficult to understand, actually, why they reacted in this way. And we see uh, in verse 31, when they arrive, they come to get him. And they can't get in the house because it's too crowded. And so they send someone in. Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And what's his response in verse 33? Who are my mother and my brothers? Now, I'm not being funny. If you wanted to win your family to yourself, that doesn't seem like the wisest response. It doesn't feel like your brothers and brothers are going to be stood outside going, okay, fair enough. If anything, it's going to cause them to be even more angry and concerned. Was it that Jesus didn't care about them? No, far from it. You see, I think the point that Mark wants us to grasp here is exactly that Jesus did, con uh, did have concern for his mother and his brother. And he did want to win his family over to who he was. He just wasn't prepared to be the Jesus they wanted him to be. They had to understand that, that they had to understand who he really was, not the Jesus they wanted him to be or they expected him to be. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to it. But let's take a little quick trip into the uh, other part of the story. Now, if this looks a little bit strange in the way this story is put together, we start with the family, we then go into the teachers of the law, and then we go back to the family. Actually, these two events are separate events. Mark is using a literary device here to put two things together to shine light on them. Uh, think sausage roll. Flaky pastry? Yeah. Sausage meat? Yeah. Put them together, sausage roll. Oh yeah. Obviously, vegan alternatives are available. Every time you read this passage, think sausage roll. That's what's happening here. So let's just dive quickly into uh, what's happening with the teachers of the law. Now, this is a little different. When Jesus, uh, his interaction with his family, his family had some preconceived ideas of who Jesus was. Actually, the teachers of the law were a bit more advanced in their understanding. They knew their Old Testament passages very, very well. They knew the passages that talked about the Messiah coming, that he would be someone who set prisoners free, who released the oppressed. They knew all these things. They had also been witnesses to his healings. They had seen it firsthand. They had seen demons come out of people. They had questioned him and they had experienced his wisdom. And yet their conclusion, after all of that evidence, was that actually he was working with the power of Satan, the power of the devil. Jesus was drawing his power from the depths of hell. Now, it doesn't take long for Jesus to just really point out the stupidity of their argument. We see him explaining why, actually, if Satan himself is using his own power to destroy his own demons, you don't have to be a genius to work out that eventually he destroys this entire kingdom. There will be nothing left. And then Jesus goes on to explain actually what is really happening. We have the story of uh, a strong man's house and someone wanting to break in and take his possessions. The strong man is the devil. And the person breaking in 
is Jesus. Now, the devil is a spiritual being, which means Jesus isn't talking about breaking in and taking his flat screen TV and his laptop, because what are the devil's possessions? They're people. And actually Jesus is talking about that he has the power. Satan is strong, but he is much, much stronger. He has the ability to walk into Satan's territory at any point and take his possessions, the people. He can take the people back and bring them under his lordship whenever he chooses. That is what is happening here. And then we get into the little bit of interesting text that over the years I've seen too many Christians get too concerned by often referred to as the unforgivable sin. What's actually happening here? Well, Jesus is referring to them blaspheming against the Holy Spirit being a sin that will never be forgiven. Okay, let's just, let's just be clear here for starters. What Jesus isn't saying here is that there is a sin that cannot be forgiven. He is saying there is a sin that will not be forgiven. You see, Jesus is very clear. All sins can be forgiven. When he died on the cross and he rose again, he won complete victory over sin and the consequences of sin. I'm hoping there's amens going all around Great Yarmouth right now. But that's the truth. Jesus won victory over all sin. Too many Christians I've come across have this nagging doubt that because they've read this and they see a sin that cannot be forgiven, but they don't know what it is which means there's a slight danger that you could end your life and you come before your maker thinking that you've done it, you've made it to heaven, and Jesus goes, ah, well, actually, on the 16th of July in year dot, 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 you actually committed the unforgivable sin. Sorry, that's not what's happening here. That is not the case. What Jesus is saying to these men is that they have seen the Holy Spirit in action. You see, when Jesus said, be healed, it was the Holy Spirit that actually did the healing. When Jesus said, demons come out, it was the Holy Spirit that was actually doing the removal. The Holy Spirit was at work. When Jesus was preaching and teaching, he was affecting people's heart. How? By the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Yet these men have decided that with all that evidence, what they've been witnessing is the work of Satan. Jesus is telling these men that their hearts are so hard, so calloused, so turned off from the things of God, that they will not be forgiven for the simple fact that they will never ask for forgiveness. Because you see, that's the truth about an unforgivable sin. The only way to be forgiven your sins is to ask Jesus to forgive them. If you are at all concerned that you have committed the unforgivable sin, just your concern probably suggests you haven't. Actually, there's a very simple solution. You just ask for forgiveness. We're told in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. You see, the only unforgivable sins 
are the sins where forgiveness is not asked for. And actually, it doesn't just apply to these men, it can apply to many. These teachers of the law had decided that Jesus' actions were driven by Satan. I would suggest to you in our society, there is even potentially a bigger threat because the overwhelming sense in our society isn't that Jesus is working on behalf of the devil, it's that Jesus is simply irrelevant. And where does that leave you? It leaves you not even bothering to consider that you need to ask for your forgiveness. And that leads to forgiveness not coming. So Jesus is quite clear here. He is quite clear in both of these stories that actually how we approach Jesus really matters. So what can we learn from this passage? What does it have to say to us? Well, I've got two big questions, but only one of them will apply to you. All will be revealed. The first question, and this is for you, if you call Jesus your Lord and Saviour. If you know that, that you are his follower, you are one of his children, this question is for you. Who is Jesus to you? And is that who he wants to be? You see, if we consider the story of his family, think of Mary. Mary knew who Jesus was. She had been met by an angel and told that she would give birth to a son who would be called God. She knew, regardless of what anybody thought, that she gave birth as a virgin. She knew who Jesus was, yet it would appear here she'd forgotten, or at least her presumption of what he would look like is different to the reality before her. So she was concerned. Actually, for those of us who have been Christians a long time, it is far too easy for us to fall into a similar trap where we just start to presume we understand what Jesus will do. We presume we understand what he's like. Actually, it is too easy for us to tame Jesus and we shrink him a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until he becomes nothing more than a pocket-sized Swiss army knife, get me out of trouble, make my life better kind of God. Actually, I want to suggest to you that Jesus wants to be more than that to you. And for some of us, that means re-engaging with the reality of who he is. Now, at this point, I want to encourage you, because how do you do that? In this season when we are all spending so much time online, and there is so much content out there, so many sermons, so many words, so much stuff that you can read. Actually, some of it's good. A lot of it isn't great, if I'm honest. But let's be very clear. If you want to know who Jesus is, you need to pick up this. Not this one, this is mine. Get your own. You need to pick up this. You see, this isn't another alternative alongside a video. It's not a, another alternative alongside watching someone else preach. You see, this isn't simply a book of information that will tell you about Jesus. This is the relationship building tool to get to know Jesus. Because as you read this, the Holy Spirit works inside of you to shape you and change you. Actually, there is nothing else on the face of the planet that can do that for you. 
If Jesus needs to change in your view, this is where you need to be. Can I encourage you to use this season to invest in getting into this? I know there's huge amounts of it's in there that are just so confusing. So you may need to get yourself some commentaries. You may need to ask for some help of how do I understand the book of Numbers? Lamentations, some other tough stuff. But the reality is it is a journey worth going on. I am so pleased that after being a Christian for 36 something odd years, 37 years, that I am more excited today to pick up this book than I have ever been. And I don't expect that to change for the rest of my days on this planet. Why? Because it's not just information. I've read it all before somewhere. It's not information, it's relationship building. And it's just amazing to keep rediscovering who the real Jesus is. So my second big question, and this is for you, if actually you don't know who Jesus is, Jesus is not your Lord. In fact, you may even consider that Jesus' family got it about right. That in fact, Jesus may be a lunatic. He may be dangerous. Who knows? But you're not convinced he's God. And here's my big question for you. Will you... Be prepared to go on the same journey that Jesus' family went on. You see, at this point in the story, Jesus' family believed that he'd lost his mind. But actually, they didn't stay there. They did engage with their brother, with their son. And actually, we know from later passages, beginning of Acts, that they're all there with the believers in the upper room. And in fact, two of Jesus' brothers wrote books that are in the New Testament, James and Jude. And if we look at how they introduce themselves in their own books, the change is quite amazing. They introduce themselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their big brother had changed from being a slightly dodgy, dangerous, out of his mind guy to being their Lord and Savior. They had gone on a journey. So I wanna ask you, will you, come on the same journey. At the beginning of May, we're gonna be launching an Alpha course. Now Alpha is just a, a, a course that looks to answer this very question. Who is Jesus? Who is he, really? We look at evidence, we look at what the Bible says, we look at historic evidence, but it is a great way to actually engage with really answering that question. Because the simple truth is this, what you or I believe about Jesus doesn't change who he really is. Jesus' family believed he was out of his mind, and he wasn't. The teachers of the law believed he was working for Satan, and he wasn't. See, what we believe doesn't change who Jesus really is. Heaven is very clear as to who Jesus is. We know from chapter 1 in Mark, when God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And we know from early on in, in, in chapter three, the demons knew who Jesus was. You are the son of God, they proclaimed. You see, the spiritual realm is very clear as to who Jesus is. It's just us that are confused. And so I wanna give you this opportunity to sign up. Now we're gonna be launching it more fully. I've kind of gone a week early, if I'm honest. We're gonna launch it more fully next week. Um, Alpha, there'll be plenty of opportunity to sign up. But actually, if you're sitting there watching this right now thinking, yes, 
actually, I, I want to go on that journey. I want to ask those questions. Because you see, the alternative is you sit with the scribes and you just hope that one day something's going to work out for you. But this passage is quite clear. If you don't ask for forgiveness, you will not receive it. But all you have to do is ask. And this is an opportunity to meet the man and then you can decide whether you want to ask him or not. So if you do want to sign up for, for, for doing the course, we're going to be running it in May. It's going to be a bit different to the way we normally do it, that we're going to have to do it online. Um, but the technology will help us. We can make it so, um, as someone famously once said, I'm not a Trekkie. Oh, that's just please, Simon. Um, uh, and Patrick's laughing. Can I encourage you? You can drop a message in the comments box right, right, right now to just say, yeah, I want to be in. Can you do that for me? You can email us. Um, you can email me. My email address is darren at wearekingsgate.org. Uh, please drop us a line. There will be plenty of other opportunity in the weeks to come to sign up. So don't worry if you don't do it today. So can I leave you with this thought? If you're a Christian, is the Jesus that you believe in currently the real Jesus? The full Jesus? The Jesus that Jesus wants you to know? And if you don't know him at all, will you give yourself to walking on a journey so that you can get to know him? Shall we pray? Lord, I want to thank you that you are a God that we can get to know. That you have opened the way so that we can know you. That we can see you ever more clearly day by day. And Lord, what a God you are. Lord, this time when we are restricted and restrained, and living with some difficulties and some concerns and worries, you are still king of the universe. You are still Lord over all things. Lord, I just want to pray for anyone who's watching now that you would bring healing to their lives. This story starts with you healing people and setting them free. And Lord, coronavirus will not stop you from doing that. You are Lord of it, like every other disease that has ever existed. You are in charge. And so Lord, I just ask that you would bring healing, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring uh, just a real deep sense of your presence in the lives of those who desire it to be there. Lord, extend your kingdom in this time. Amen. Thank you, church. It's been great being with you. I look forward to seeing you soon.